Well, it is good to be here today. It's good to be with all of you today, wherever that is um, for you. That It's just awesome that you've tuned in this morning. And it is Pentecost Sunday. We just saw the story of Pentecost. And I wanted to ask the question this morning, where is the church? It's the birthday of the church. We see it and we read it. We heard the story from Acts chapter 2. But my question this morning is where is the church? Because I look around today and see a mostly empty building. But if we think about it for just a split second, if we think about it for just a moment, we realize that this building is not the church. In Joel chapter 2, Heidi read it to us this morning, and I want you to turn there. And while we're turning there, I'm going to kind of set it up for you. We see in this chapter of prophecy that there is a description of an army. It's an army of locusts. And surprisingly, or maybe not, it actually sounds like the Roman army that occupied Israel in Jesus's day. The locusts are described like horses in a cavalry with chariots that are leaping over mountains and fires that are consuming the stubble fields. And at the sight of this uh, army of locusts, faces are going to turn pale because they march in a line and they don't swerve from their course. And the description goes on and on and on. And it reminds us of the military focus, the military forces that would have occupied Israel in Jesus's day. And as you move down in that same chapter, you see a call to repentance, this call to rend your hearts, a call to blow the trumpet in Zion and to answer the Lord or the Lord's answer to rescue Israel. And this is where I want to pay close attention. It starts in verse 28. It says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, there have been, and there are many of us that seem to believe that since the church buildings are not opened so that we can gather together the way we are accustomed to, that the church is closed. There are some within the sound of my voice today that believe that because we cannot worship together the way that we want to, that the church in the United States is under persecution. I have to take issue with that. I have to disagree with that statement. Because there is a huge difference between persecution and inconvenience. I don't believe anyone here in the United States of America this very day is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ under the threat of death. I'm not coming to you from some undisclosed location so that people cannot find me. We're not hijacking some broadcast. Because why? We are able to preach the gospel of Jesus. Let me, let me ask it to you this way. Would you be able to stand in front of a foreign person, let's say a person from China, where it is illegal to be a Christian? 
where it is illegal to proclaim Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, and his power to save us from sin, would you be able to stand in front of that person who has to secretly, quietly go and find a place to hear about Jesus? Who cannot sing a song even in their own home above a whisper about Jesus? Would you be able to stand in front of them today and claim that this is a persecution simply because you're not able to come and gather the way you want to? I mean, even using the word exile, and I've used it in the last few weeks, in the last couple of months, I've used the word exile because it does feel different. We're not accustomed to worshiping God in our own homes, separate away from each other. We're used to gathering together. And so I have described this inconvenience as an exile. But I want to take a look at what the Bible says in an example of persecution. And we need to remember that God's word is the final authority. It is the utmost authority on how we Christians are to live our lives. And that's in Acts chapter 5. And so I want you to turn from from the book of Joel, go to the book of Acts. But keep your finger in the book of Joel, okay? Keep your finger there because we're going to come back there. And turn to Acts chapter 5. Now, the disciples had been told, you see, not to preach. They'd been told. And this is what happens. Starting in verse 17, it says, Then the high priest and all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. I want to take a moment and say this right here. The angel of the Lord didn't say, go, run over to the state capitol and protest. I know I'm meddling. The angel of the Lord did not say, I want you to go and I want you to scream and holler on every kind of, uh, of social media outlet that you have in that day. You know, don't go running up and down the streets. He didn't say go up running up and down the streets saying how rotten the government is and they're infringing on our rights. What did he tell him? He said, go, stand in the temple courts, and then this, and tell the people about this new life. And at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. And when the high priests and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, that is the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and they reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, these men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts. They're teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. 
whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are the witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, if we continue reading, we see that the disciples who were arrested, they were flogged. That means they were beaten. And it wasn't just like a punch or a beating with a stick. A flogging usually was pretty bloody, pretty painful. And they were flogged because they gave that answer and they continued to preach the gospel. And this is why I can't call what we've experienced, at least here, mostly in the state of Washington, that we have experienced persecution of the church. Now, I'm not saying it could not turn into that. But what we are experiencing right now is by no means persecution. I'm on the air six days a week, this week, seven days a week, preaching the good news. And I've not been beaten once. No one has showed up to my doorstep telling me I have to stop. And there's another part of this that I think that we may as Christians be missing we're not being told to meet because it's against the law to preach Christ died and crucified and rose again. We're being told to meet for the protection of society. And even if you think that that's all conjured up and conspired up, and even if you think that's just the government trying to get us to stop and everything else, I want you to think about this. I do not recall any of Paul's messages or any other disciples' message screaming about the injustice of being persecuted for Christianity. No one stormed the steps of Jerusalem. No one demanded Paul's release. And even Peter himself, under arrest for preaching the gospel, writes in his letter in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And remember that when we become citizens of the kingdom of God, we are no longer citizens of this world. We are a citizen of the most high God. We're the citizen of his kingdom. And Peter here is telling us, do not Pay attention to, he says, abstain, stay away from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show the proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And then Peter says this. Hold on to your hats here, folks. Peter says this. Honor the emperor. I struggle with that. Can I say that? I struggle with that. For a whole lot of reasons, I struggle with that. And I know some of you do too, because I see your posts. I also see the posts that are not very Christ-like on both sides of this issue. Folks, we need to be biblical about how we live our lives. 
Do you ever wonder why there's so much confusion about things like this? Because this is how the adversary works. You see, he sows seeds of discourse and division within the body of Christ, which, by the way, the church is not closed. I'm going to challenge everyone within the sound of my voice that if you are promoting a rebelliousness towards this, the church has to be open. We have to be able to go back to worshiping. I'm going to sit in the pew next to everybody else and not wear a mask and spit all over everybody when I sing. Attitude, if you're promoting that, I'm calling you to repentance today. I'm calling you to get on your knees and repent because a rebellious attitude is not what Paul ever had when he wrote his letters. Peter never showed that. John and Peter were beaten and they never were disrespectful. In fact, in Acts chapter four, they told the Sanhedrin, you gotta do what you've gotta do. And guess what? God has called us to do what this happens. And they were beaten on another occasion for preaching the gospel. And what did they do? They went back to their people and prayed. Read it. It's there in your Bible. It's God's word. And if you have by any stretch of the imagination proclaimed that the church is closed, you need to repent for that. And you need to turn from that. I know there are a lot of people right now that are taking issue with the things I'm saying, but you're really not taking issue with me. You're taking issue with God's word. Did you ever notice what the disciples were called to do? They weren't called to protest. They weren't called to civil disobedience. They were not called to go run up and take on the, the emperor. They were not called to take on the Sanhedrin. They were called to preach the gospel. You see, the adversary doesn't need us to do things that are terribly awful bad. He just needs to distract us. It's WMDs all over again. I know, that's kind of funny. Because, you know, here, several, couple presidents ago, we had a president looking for weapons of mass destruction. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about weapons of mass distraction. That's what this is. It's a weapon of mass distraction. You see, the adversary does not need us to just go home and shut up our doors and not be in this church building. He needs us to be quiet he needs us to be doing something other than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now think about this for a moment. This inconvenience of not being together is not persecution. It's a distraction. How much energy are you putting into your political arguments that are about we have to meet or we don't have to meet or we've got to be together or we've got to do this and we've got to do that and the government's running all over my rights. How much energy are you putting into that? When I come back to church, I'm not wearing a mask and nobody's going to make me. Heard that statement this week. Folks, I got news for you. That is a rebellious attitude and rebelliousness is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't say, now go take on this Sanhedrin. The Holy Spirit said, go and preach the gospel. You see, Satan has gotten a lot of people across the United States who claim to be saved, who claim to be Christian, who claim to be disciples, distracted from what it is we're supposed to do. And by the way, this evangelism thing is not just left up to pastors and Sunday school teachers and board members and all of that. It's all of us. We have to declare 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our job. It doesn't matter who's president. It doesn't matter who's in control of our social uh, areas. It doesn't matter who's in control of our society. We have a job to do, and that is to preach Christ crucified for your sins. You see, this whole distraction thing is what a good friend of mine, Dana Benscotter, calls being one degree off. There is a place for us to to politically have opinions and there is a place for us and everybody's entitled to them and there is a place for us to do that. But when we bring the church into it and we say that this, this religion thing becomes political, guys, we are missing the point and we are not preaching Christ crucified. If we put our energy into Jesus saves rather than I got to worship in my church building or I can't worship. Folks, I got news for you. You're one degree off. One degree off isn't that big deal right away. But in the long run, what happens? One degree off turns into a lot. One degree off turns into missing that mark completely. And the destination is gone. You're nowhere close. Now, I know right now you're asking, Pastor Dan, where on God's green earth are you going with this Pentecost message? You just got done giving us a spiritual spanking, and now you're going to talk to us about the day that the church was born. And yes, I need you to stay with me because we've got to understand that the church, nothing, not even the power, of, not even the gates of hell is going to come against the church because the church is not a building. We know the story. We heard it. I loved that children's video by Saddleback Kids, by the way. Did a little plug for them. They, they let us show their video if we, uh, if we pay for it. And so we paid for it and, and we showed it. But they got some great videos. It was an awesome little video that tells the story in the upper room waiting for the gift of the Father. And we hear the rushing wind and we see the fire on their heads. And, you know, we, we get the whole story. And we see how in that day, there were 3,000 plus added to the church. And I add that plus in there because back then, they only counted men 13 years of age and older. Women and children did not get counted. There were literally thousands upon thousands added to the church that day. And it wasn't in a building. The church wasn't confined if you believe that by closing the buildings, we can close the church, I want you to ask yourself this in your heart of hearts. Have I really invited God to live in me? Have I really become the temple of the Holy Spirit? Because if our heart is open to God, he lives in us, not in this beautiful building. If our heart is open to God, he lives in us and through us so that everywhere that we go, just like the Great Commission, that going, you should baptize everyone in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that going is, is everywhere that you go. So when I'm at the gas station, yep, that's right. You know what? You need to be baptizing people in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not just about dunking them in water. That's about allowing the Holy Spirit to live in us and through us to the point that wherever we go, there is something different about us that people see. 
But if your Christianity is so tied to the building being open, is your heart really open to God or was it just open to this building? I know those questions hurt. I get it. I have to ask myself the same thing. If your Christianity was so tied to the building being open, how come you weren't here every week? I have friends right now all over that are screaming and just railing about the churches needing to be open. And yet I know for a fact, even when they were, they maybe came one out of four Sundays in a month. At some point, I'm very indignant about that. Where were you when we could meet? I know I'm meddling here, but these are things we need to repent for. And remember the prophet Joel, we had some other things to talk about there because not just that end part about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon sons and daughters and everybody was gonna connect up to the time of Jesus. I already made that argument about how the army of locusts looked like the army of Rome and horses and chariots and modern warfare of Jesus's time. But if you back up in that chapter Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 12, there's a little bit more here that kind of relates. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. There's a strange word in there. What does it mean to rend your heart? What does that word mean? Well, there's another time when we see that happen. It's when Jesus died on the cross, when he gave up his Holy Spirit, when he willingly gave his life. The curtain to the Holy of Holies says, and oftentimes we, we translate that torn in two, but it really is rent, which means it's the past tense of rend. And that word there really means shred beyond repair. When we look at that word that we translate in as being the past tense of rend your heart, it's the same thing that happened to the the Holy of Holies. And so what was the Holy of Holies? That was the place where the Spirit of God dwelt. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The, The Ten Commandments on the tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain were there. The Holy Spirit resided in the in the Holy of Holies. That's why the priest had to have a big rope tied around his waist that had come out of the curtain, because he had bells on his on his garments. And if the bells stopped ringing, that meant he had stopped moving and doing what had happened, and he had sin in his life that he did not ask forgiveness for before entering the Holy of Holies, and God struck him dead. But when Jesus died, when Jesus died, that curtain was rent. Kind of funny, I always thought to myself, you know, we talk about it being torn in two. That curtain was actually two curtains that kind of passed by each other. So you walked around and through and in, kind of like what they used to call a farmer's secret. And um, 
it's kind of interesting because, because um, I always thought to myself, any good tent maker back in the day, you know, Priscilla and Aquila were good tent makers. If that curtain had just been torn in two, why they could have just sewed that thing right back up. But when you get to the original language and you begin to understand that it was rent, that it was literally shredded. Think of this. If you've got a cat and they have shredded the corners of your sofa to the point that it can't be repaired, that's what happened to the, the curtain in the Holy of Holies. It was literally shredded beyond repair. When Jesus died on the cross, that was should have been a huge clue that this prophecy from our brother Joel who said it would be coming, there would be a day that the spirit of the one true living God would reside within the hearts of his people, not in a fixed temple, not in a building, not in a church, but in the hearts of the people. And I say you to leave you with this today is that we have a place within us where the Holy Spirit may reside, not in a building, not in a gathering, And I say this to encourage you today to open your hearts today, to repent, to shred your heart beyond all repair so that the Holy Spirit would come in and live in you. I'm going to ask Heidi to come up because we're going to sing a song here in a minute and I want her to have time to get ready. And I want us to be focused here because as long as I am alive, the church will never be closed. As long as I have breath in my lungs, the church will never be closed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives in my heart. And as long as we still proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what form that takes, the church will never close. Not even the very gates of hell will be able to stand against it. That's why I said that the adversary is just using these weapons of mass distraction. Because even though we cannot meet together in a specified building, that's just a method of mass distraction, right? As long as you're bent to tell the government what to do with our buildings, as long as you're distracted from what the real task of the church is, you're not spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. To proclaim the very name of Jesus. That's our job. He died on the cross for all of our sins, for all of humanity, past, present, and future. This church has not closed because my heart is still beating. His Holy Spirit lives in me and through me. And we're going to sing a song here in just a second. I'm going to go to the piano and this is going to be, I don't believe by any stretch of the imagination that we need to reopen the church because I'm going to proclaim that the church was never closed. <laughs> 